Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name is Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing pretty good. It was St. Patrick's Day the other day, a holiday which, like I think pretty much everybody who has bartended at one point, I have built up a certain amount of antipathy towards. It's one of those days that bar regulars tend to refer to as amateur night, which they're not wrong, but at the same time, hey guys, you do realize you're in effect referring to yourself as a professional drinker. And that's not always such a treat to deal with either. Anyway, I was thinking about St. Patrick and the whole driving all of the snakes out of Ireland thing, and I started wondering about his beatification process. If the guy arguing against his sainthood, whose position, incidentally, was referred to by the Roman Catholic Church as the devil's advocate, and that's where we get the name from, historical fun fact. Anyway, I wonder if that guy was like, Okay, I just want to bring this up. Is it possible that snakes just don't live in Ireland? And his opposition, the devil's prosecutor? Hmm, I didn't really look into it that far. Was like, yeah, snakes don't live there because St. Patrick chased them out. Case closed. Well, wait, by that logic, why isn't there a saint who chased all the giraffes out of Ireland? Or all the polar bears out of Ireland. And the church was just like, oh shit. All right, huddle up, everybody. Huddle up. Yeah, but he said his right. Okay. Okay, you made your point. From now on, April 3rd is St. Flan's Day. He chased all of the polar bears out of Ireland. And July 18th will be St. Philboyd's Day. Because I guess he probably chased all of the giraffes out of Ireland. Are you happy now? And the guy's like, yes. Yes, I am. That is exactly what I wanted. And that is the history of St. Philboyd's Day. Anyway, enough of that, Blarney. Let's get into some different Blarney. Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Brad Reed. In comics abound, tales wild and strange, events that baffle and far off do range. To grasp these wild turns without getting wrecked, you need a synopsis, or in Russian, conspiekt. Thanks, Bradley. Your methods are unorthodox, but damn it, you get results. Tales of the Teen Titans, number 51, March 1985. The Jericho Imbroglio. Written by Marv Wolfman. Drotted by Rich Buckler, inked by Bob Smith, lettered by Ben Oda, and colored by Adrienne Roy. Teen Titan Roll Call Nightwing, Starfire, Cyborg, Beast Boy, Jericho, and Lilith. Previously in Tales of the Teen Titans. Our titular teenagers took a break from crime fighting to celebrate the wedding of Wonder Girl. Hooray! To Terry Long. No comment. 
Garfield Logan, a.k.a. Beast Boy, was still emotionally distraught from the team's betrayal at the hands of a duplicitous diminutive dirt distributor named Terra. After witnessing the false-faced firmament flinger evil herself to death in an attempt to murder the Titans, Beast Boy kinda lost his shit for a minute. Much to everyone's surprise, the embattled Emerald Adolescent was able to pull himself together and did a great job planning and hosting Donna's wedding. In a surprising twist for a superheroic ceremony, the wedding and reception went off without a hitch, and in attendance was nearly every former Teen Titan and most of their friends and family. The most noticeable exception being Raven, who missed the entire affair because she had sequestered herself away in that weird pocket dimension she goes to to yell melodramatically about her feelings. Her presence was missed, but on the plus side, Aqualad and Aquagirl showed up and went skinny dipping. Hooray! After the wedding, Donna and Terry flew off to begin their honeymoon in Greece. Gadzooks! Is his successful turn at party planning a sign that Beast Boy is finally getting his shit together? With Wonder Girl and Raven unavailable, what pinch hitter will the Titans bring in to fill out their roster? And will anything in this issue match the delightful whimsy of Aqualad and Aquagirl's skinny dipping? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... Nope. The red-haired, occasionally psychic member of the 1970s Titans lineup, Lilith. Hooray. And... No. Of course not. What could? But... Jericho does use his powers to make Beast Boy fly into a wall, so at least there's that. The Titans have learned the location of a bunch of gun smugglers and have decided to show up and arrest them all. Perhaps unsurprisingly, the Gunrunners aren't crazy about this plan and attempt to fight back. Even more unsurprisingly, the location of this Donnybrook is a warehouse. If it wasn't for circuses, warehouses would probably be the most maligned occupational setting in all of comic books. As the bullets and magic space fire punches are flying, Lilith crouches behind a box, touches her temple, and warns the other titans that they should be careful because her psychic powers inform her that there might be danger nearby. Yeah, no shit. Also, hooray! Our heroes make short work of their criminal counterparts, but during the fight, Nightwing thinks to himself that he sure hopes his suspicions about Joe Wilson, a.k.a. Jericho, proved to be unfounded. Hmm. If those suspicions are that Jericho's mutton chops make him look a little like Dr. Zayas from Planet of the Apes, then I got some bad news for you, dick. Them shits are founded as hell. After the dust settles, the gang poses for some photos for the news crew that have gathered outside the warehouse. I bet there's a gang of reporters perched outside of every warehouse in the DCU, just waiting for everyone inside to inevitably be arrested. Save so much time on investigative journalism. Meanwhile, in the imaginatively named fictional Middle Eastern country of Kyrak, President Marlowe is somewhat ineptly using an overhead projector and giving a presentation to his top spy-slash-assassin. The Kyraki dictator informs his agent that years ago, a woman named Adeline Wilson was instrumental in the coup that helped Marlowe seize control of the country. Wait a minute. The same Adeline Wilson who was Grover Cleveland's vice president, despite his disapproval of Cleveland's support for the gold standard? That Adeline Wilson? No, it turns out that's Adelaide Stevenson. 
Adeline Wilson is the U.S. Force's special combat trainer, who is the mother of the teen titan Jericho, and the ex-wife of Slade Wilson, aka Deathstroke the Terminator, a super assassin who uses 90% of his brain but only 50% of his eyeballs. Her position regarding the gold standard versus free silver remains largely unknown, but I would hazard a guess that not unlike William Jennings Bryan, on whose ticket Adelaide Stevenson would unsuccessfully run for a second term as vice president, she probably wouldn't be crazy about being nailed to a cross of gold. But I digress ever so slightly. Anyway, it turns out that since she left President Marlowe's employ, Ms. Wilson has been running a detective agency that is a front for her real work as a freelance international secret agent. Neat! A few months ago, Adeline was spotted in the capital of Kyrak. At the time, everyone figured she was just visiting her old pals to reminisce about the good old days of violently overthrowing the previous regime. But recently, President Marlowe noticed that his top-secret plans to invade the neighboring fictional nation of... Kyran were missing. The suddenly suspicious strongman is now convinced that Wilson is behind the theft. His spies were able to track down the presumed plan purloiner's whereabouts through the press her son Joe received from his exploits with the Titans. Marlowe tells the off-panel object of his exposition that her mission is to kidnap Adeline Wilson and regain the plans for the Kyranian invasion. Oh, and if she feels like killing the Teen Titans while she's at it, she'll get a bonus for some reason. We finally see who President Marlowe has hired for the mission. It's Cheshire! Cheshire is a ruthless mercenary who is super into poisons. The last, and incidentally first, time we saw her, she was part of a team of super assassins that a mob boss hired to kill our heroes. She got super flirty with both Starfire and Kid Flash, and then nearly killed Wally with her poisoned fingernails. Hooray! As she heads home to reconvene with her former instructor and current butler, an elderly Asian stereotype named Wen Chang, Cheshire muses to herself that she is pretty stoked about this mission, for a couple of reasons. One, she is real stoked to kill her some Teen Titans, and B, she needs the money on account of she has a baby, and the father is a Teen Titan. <laughs> Meanwhile, back in New York, Lilith and Coriander are hanging out in the Titan Tower and getting to know one another. Lilith informs her new orange buddy that she's been searching for her birth parents, and she hasn't had a ton of luck. Starfire sympathizes. She asks the occasionally psychic orphan if she needs a place to stay. It seems that the Tamaranian princess has moved into Terry Long's old apartment, now that the divorced community college professor is shacking up with his new wife Wonder Girl, and she could use a roommate. I get it. Burning enough sage to psychically cleanse Terry's old bachelor pad is definitely a two-person job. Lilith accepts the offer. She tells her new roommate that she is stoked to fill her in on all the goofy shit Dick used to get up to back when the Titans' secret headquarters was a swingin' discotheque on Long Island. Hooray! The rest of the Titans show up for a minute, and everybody gives Dick some shit about his past. Hooray! And Beast Boy makes it weird. Damn it, Gar. After a little while, the gang departs. Gar mentions darkly that he wants to sit in on the jury selection process for Slade Wilson. The rest of the team seems to think that that's not a great idea, as the verdant vigilante has kind of fixated on Deathstroke, who he blames for Terra's betrayal of the Titans and subsequent death. Beast Boy insists that he will behave, and flies off. 
The rest of the heroes take off as well, but Nightwing's thought bubbles reveal that he is headed to Washington, D.C. to meet with some government agents who claim to have proof that, like Terra before him, Jericho is a traitor. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Alaska, a team of archaeologists working for Star Labs has just unearthed an ancient alien spaceship. Oh, well, good for them. Back in New York, Adeline Wilson arrives at her detective agency, which, as I mentioned earlier, is secretly a front for her international espionage network. She banters a bit with her employee, Gert. Gert is a sassy elderly woman who is a semi-retired former spy herself. She cracks wise and chain smokes and wears overalls and is a goddamn delight. Gert informs her employer that she has heard some rumblings that Wilson could be facing trouble from the Middle East. Oh, but where in the Middle East? Kirky? Kegypt? Kebanon? Afghanistan? Adeline is in the process of telling Gert that it's nothing she can't handle when Cheshire bursts through the door and starts beating the shit out of her. Whoops. Gert pulls out a pistol and shoots a chandelier off of the ceiling that nearly crushes her employer's assailant. Hooray! The aged former agent tells Cheshire to knock it off or she'll find herself more full of lead than the gasoline Gert used to be able to purchase for a nickel a gallon. Undaunted, the agile assassin snatches a shard of crystal from the down chandelier and flings it at the geriatric gunslinger. The crystal hits Gert in the chest, killing her instantly. No! Damn it! I was hoping after the initial skirmish the three ladies could form an intergenerational friendship and be super assassin buddies or something. You know, like steel magnolias, but more murdery. Well, so much for that. Enraged, Adeline attacks the Gert-murdering jerkwad. So Cheshire beats her up some more, and claws her with a poison that KOs the distressed double agent. Just then, Jericho arrives home and sees his unconscious mom lying on the floor. He attacks the woman who he believes to be his mom's murderer. This plan works out for him about as well as it did for her. Cheshire is like, Hey kid, I used to fight your dad, and then we did it! And with that, she kicks an understandably unsettled Jericho in the face and knocks him out. At the Pentagon, Nightwing is meeting with some high-level government agents who inform him that they are pretty sure Adeline Wilson has stolen some secret documents from a foreign government that they were hoping to steal from that foreign government. They think her son might be in on the act and would like to question him. Dick is skeptical, but if you can't trust the military-industrial complex, who can you trust? He says he'll have one of his pals swing by Joe's place and bring him in for questioning. Unfortunately, Dawn is on her honeymoon, Starfire and Lilith don't have a phone set up yet in their new pad, Cyborg is out with his dope grandparents, and Raven is off in that weird pocket dimension standing on a stalagmite and yelling about her feelings. That only leaves... Oh dear. Reluctantly, Nightwing picks up the phone and calls Beast Boy. This isn't going to end well, is it? No, me. It really isn't. Gar answers the phone and half listens to Dick's exposition. And then it's like, So, Jericho is definitely a traitor, and if he doesn't do what I tell him to immediately, then I should beat the crap out of him and drag his unconscious body to the nearest police station and tell them to beat him up some more. Got it! Then the shape-shifting shithead slams down the receiver before Dick can respond. So, yeah. I'd say he's still working through some stuff. 
A few minutes later, the animal avatar-assuming asshole arrives at the Wilson residence, where Jericho is beginning to recover from his recent encounter with Cheshire. The mutton-chopped mutant notices that his mom's body and her attacker are gone. He attempts to use sign language to convey that information to Beast Boy, but Gar cuts him off and is like, Huh, nice try, pal, but I barely pay attention to people when I do understand the language they're speaking. Let's go. Still upset by what he believes may have been the murder of his mother, Jericho refuses to comply, which sends Gar off the deep end. Irate, the Jade Juvenile exclaims, That does it! I knew you were a traitor and I'm gonna kick your ass! I now feel justified for inexplicably blaming you for Tara's death! And my parents' death! And my other parents' death! And my other other parents' death! Damn, I've got a lot of dead parents! And somehow it's all your fault! Then he changes into an array of ferocious beasts as he launches an assault on a bewildered and still grieving Joe Wilson. After somehow managing to fend off attacks from a green lion and a green chimpanzee, the possession-prone Jericho manages to make eye contact with Beast Boy and takes over the green teen's body just as he has assumed the form of a hawk. Gar immediately crashes headfirst into a wall and knocks himself out. Hooray! I mean... In a perfect world, Joe would have made him do a funny dance first, but I'll take what I can get. Feeling scared and alone, Jericho hops on his motorcycle and rides to a dilapidated apartment in downtown Manhattan. Amber, a pretty young lady with a rad afro, answers the door. She greets the frightened teen warmly and welcomes him inside. A little while later, back at the Titan's T-shaped skyscraper, a still agitated Beast Boy explains his version of what transpired. Although his teammates are pretty much all of the opinion that Gar is mostly full of shit, they nevertheless reluctantly agree that they ought to track down Jericho and see what he has to say for himself. In another part of town, Cheshire has Adeline Wilson tied to a chair. The girt-murdering asshole announces her intention to turn Adeline over to President Marlowe, but before she does so, she wants to hear everything that the former Mrs. the Terminator knows about her son's pals, the Teen Titans. Adeline swears that she will never talk, but Cheshire is like, Yeah, you say that, but the thing is, I'm pretty good at torture. So, yeah, at this point I'm pretty sure that intergenerational women's buddy movie is pretty much out of the question. Dang. Hey, remember those archaeologists in Alaska that found the spaceship? Well, they're still there. So is the ship. They start poking around near the ship and notice that there is a humanoid-shaped body trapped in the ice. What an amazing discovery! These guys might finally be able to prove that extraterrestrials exist in the DC Universe. I mean, in addition to the several hundreds of species that they've already met and who live and work and fight crime on Earth and have been public knowledge for decades at this point. Also, Star Labs has an archaeology department? Do they also have a hotel and restaurant management department? Kind of hope so. I bet those dudes can fold napkins into shapes that would blow your mind. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I am well. How are you? I am doing pretty good. Good. Pretty good. Glad to hear it. So, what did you think of this comic book? I thought it was pretty good. I was worried about missing the artwork that mm -hmm. we've become so accustomed to. And it was pretty smooth, I thought. Yeah, I agree. I like Rich Buckler a lot. I sometimes mix him up with Frank Brunner, but they're different people, and I need to learn to mm -hmm. acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. But 
They're both great artists, and I think he did a really nice job on this. I was also a little bit worried. It feels like the last several issues have kind of lost momentum. We were kind of placeholding while we led up to the wedding, and I wasn't sure where they were going to go after it. And I know this is like kind of a post-Perez era, and I know he had a lot to do with the plotting of the books. And it felt nice to feel like the book was moving forward again. Yeah. And I enjoyed that. And also, there was just a shitload of stuff happening in here. A lot going on. Some characters progressing, some regressing, just being their normal shitty selves. Yeah, yeah. The post-wedding planning glow is off of the shitty green rose that is Beast Boy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Yeah. that's apt. So, let's just jump into the Jerry Springer bit. Oh, yeah, I think of it as a Maury Povich bit, but who do you think the real dad is? Who... It's Cheshire's baby daddy. Oh, man. I I hope they have to have a lie detector issue. Do you think it's Dick? Man. Because they were kind of flirting back back in the... That was Well, she was flirting with everybody. Like, she was flirting with Starfire. She was Yeah, she was flirting with all of the Titans. I mean, it could be somebody from the old Titan team. It could be a lot of people. I just don't know. Who's your guess? I don't know. And who's your greatest fear? Well, Beast Boy is my greatest fear, because then I lose a significant amount of respect for who I think is a pretty awesome bad person. Yeah, I like everything about her except for that she killed Gert. But I think the thinking behind that was, we made her pretty cool. We do want to make sure people know she is a bad guy. Mm -hmm. So they really drove that home. I hate to see anybody wearing overalls die. That's an interesting sentiment. I thought Gert was super cool, and I was really bummed. I I was that, too. That she I got was killed. yeah. But it made me respect even more the badness of uh, Cheshire. Yeah, she already has a higher body count than I think Deathstroke ever saw in any of these issues. He always talked about what a great assassin he was and how he was the assassiniest assassin in town. But I don't think we ever actually saw him kill anybody. Mm-hmm. Like, including, like, that Wall Street guy who he was totally gonna kill to teach the Titans a lesson. So, yeah, I don't know what percentage of her brain she's using, but it's pretty badass. Maybe all of it. Could be. That's 10% more than he uses, right? I think so. He's at 90. Yes. And everybody... Wait, no, every, what's everybody else at? Just 10% less I think. I think, I think we're all... Uses. No, I think we're all at 10%. Oh, and no. he uses 90%. Unless he uses 90% more than we do, in which case he would just be at 18%. But he's pretty shredded, like physically, he's he's very buff. Right. So it's entirely possible that all of that brain, like the brain uses the most energy. I heard this on the radio or something, that the Mm -hmm. brain uses the more, like all your energy, basically. Other than just like you're getting up and moving around energy unless you're doing sporty things. Okay. Your brain's just sucking up all those calories. So he's like got to eat like Michael J... Phelps type stuff. Wait, Michael J. Fox and Michael Phelps are different people. Team swimmer. Oh, boy. (laughs) He's swimming on the top of the van. Nobody knows. It takes him so long to shave his body (laughs) so he can go past him. Oh, man. If Teen Wolf was a swimming expert instead instead of a basketball expert, yeah, he would have to shave so long. I feel like by the time he was done shaving, he wouldn't be a werewolf anymore. Loses all his edge. I wonder if that was the first draft of that movie. Yes, yeah. And then they found out they couldn't get Michael J. Phelps, so they went a different direction. So he's got a... Deathstroke has to eat like a Phelps (laughs) fox. Right. 
person. I thought you were going to say that controlling your physical body took up most of your brain's energy so that it meant that he wasn't all that smart. Because a similar thing happens with owls. Like, most of an owl's brain is taken up processing its visual input. I thought you were going to say it takes so hours to shave. <laughs> yeah! It probably would take an owl hours to shave, despite the fact that they don't have any hair. Because what I'm getting at is, owls are super fucking dumb. Really? Yeah, they look wise and stuff, but really, like I said, all of their brain energy is taken up by processing what their eyeballs are telling them, because their eyeballs are amazing, and they've got, like, 360-degree rotation for looking at shit. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, they're just dumb as a box of stupid. So, like, the whole time, like, if you were to hook up, like, a voice machine to an owl's brain, it would just be, like, tree, bird, blade of grass, ladybug. Mm -hmm. Mouse. Mouse! Let's eat the mouse! Exactly. And, like, tiny knit on the mouse's fur that I could see with these awesome eyes. Yeah, when you see an owl wearing a, the mortarboard hat like it just graduated from something, mm -hmm. it is almost definitely an honorary degree. They didn't earn that. That's good to know. I always thought of them as super wise. No. I was, you know, as part Next of time our... you see a smug old owl flapping around... Just know in your head, don't say anything because they still have sharp, they're, they're birds, so they're still terrifying. They're still assholes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so don't say anything, but no, deep in your heart of hearts, what are you so smug about? It's just a stupid asshole with good eyes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Fuck that. Yeah. Oh man, I thought owls were so cool. They're still pretty cool. Uh -uh. They're just dumb. You can be dumb, but cool. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, you could also be rude, but cool. Mm. Or cool, but rude. Or you could be a party dude. Or you can do machines. What are you talking about? Uh, the intro to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, cartoon. Raphael is cool but rude. Michelangelo is a party dude. I've seen the cartoon, but yeah, I that's somehow the, forgot. The... That's the intro. So. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. So much. I'm here to help. Like a wise owl. <laughs> <laughs> that is, I think, the quickest we have ever gotten completely off topic and sidetracked by a tangent. What were we talking about? Oh, who the Titan Dad is. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, I'm thinking Dick. Hmm. I don't know why. I mean... Wait, he's been dating Starfire. Yeah, that would be Ooh. quite a conundrum. What if it's Aqualad? He gets mind-controlled kind of a lot and gets involved in unwise romantic relationships when he does. So, I mean, it's a possibility. He ended up dating that British lady who was really a witch that one time. He does have those sea-strengthened limbs, mm -hmm. which Cheshire may have Which any, nice. anybody would have. Sure, he looks like a young Tom Jones. Who could resist his charms? Who doesn't like a young Tom Jones with sea strength and limbs? I can't imagine a person with a heart so dead. Hmm. So, I mean, you can't take that off of the table. It could be anybody. It could be you. Nope. No, wait, no. We're, nope. Neither one of us has ever nope, been a nope, Teen nope, Titan. Nope, nope. Okay, cool. So the title of the story is... The Jericho Imbruglio. So, maybe you can clarify this, knowing more about comics than I do. A lot of these start with what looks like a title on one page, and then another thing on another page. That sounds like a title also, like a subtitle or a tagline or something. And so the Jericho Imbruglio is the latter category that comes mm -hmm. on the second page, and the first one says the secret of Jericho. So which is the title and which is the, the other thing? 
So the secret of Jericho is what it says on the cover. Mm-hmm. And then once you get inside on the title page, it says the Jericho Imbroglio. Mm-hmm. That one is the title. What it says on the cover isn't necessarily the title. They will often make the cover before the story is done being written. And they will put pretty much whatever on the cover they think will sell the most books. Got it. So at last, the secret of Jericho, that's like more the headline Mm -hmm. than the title of the story. Okay. So what do you think of the title? The Jericho Imbroglio. Why do you think it's called that? It made me think of uh, Natalie Imbruglia. (laughs) Yeah. So I figured there are two reasons it might be called the Jericho Imbroglio. Mm -hmm. One is because there is a very confusing and inextricable conundrum that they find themselves in with Jericho that is potentially embarrassing. So it's a real Imbruglio. Mm -hmm. The other reason it might be called that is because Jericho is all out of faith and that is how he feels. He's cold and he is shamed, lying naked on the floor. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. so I think those are the two options. Yeah, because, I mean, you're not gonna, they're not gonna show you everything. No, no, I mean, I think that's a view of his inner life. Well, he's an artist, too. Exactly. So I'm sure he's been naked on the floor before. That's like a... <laughs> Who hasn't? Ah, good point. So did you, did you have to look up those lyrics, or did you remember them like you did the TMNT lyrics? Those I had to look up. Okay. I really wanted to make a Natalie and Brooklyn <laughs> I'm glad that you did, because I, I was like, oh, yeah, I should... No, it's too much work. <laughs> yeah, so you talked about Jericho being an artist, and when he is fleeing, he does have this weird moment where he says something to the effect of, should he go to Tahiti like Gauguin, or to his inner sanctum like Van Gogh? Okay, Van Gogh's inner sanctum... Van Gogh didn't have a sanctum sanctorum. They're talking about, like, his bedroom. I'm led to believe that his mind was not a peaceful place. No. Which, what I'm getting at is I'm pretty sure Wolfman only had one example and was like, should he go to Tahiti like Gauguin? Let's do another one. Um, oh, shit. That's, uh, that's all I got. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, then the next thing that he says is he ends up going to a kind of rundown neighborhood to visit his friend Amber. And the caption work says, Avenue 8 in downtown Manhattan is no tropical island far from man's miseries. Yeah, I suppose that's true. That's very specific. Mm-hmm. I mean, also Van Gogh's inner sanctum isn't that. It was like a fairly Spartan bedroom in Arles, France. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess they were like, you know, hey, Starry Night, it's a pretty cool picture. Yeah, probably he had to consult his eye of Agamotto to draw that. The other thing about Jericho in this issue, and not just in this issue, his powers are so inconsistently handled. In this issue, we see that, one, when he takes over some thugs' bodies in a scene that is pretty goddamn funny. I can't stop hitting him! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he has control of their body, but not their vocal cords or whatever. And previously, he is just an undercover agent when he takes over somebody's body and speaks with their voice, but in his own words. Or, I guess, with their words, but his own sentiments and thoughts? Because he talked like Rudy. But that's because Rudy was drunk, though. You can't yeah. change that. No, you can't change that Rudy was drunk. Nothing can erase that. Nope. Except for time. Time is the only sobering factor. He did not have it. No. Time was not on his side. No, it wasn't. It's a good song. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's a very musical episode. It really is. Yeah. We have equal classics torn by Natalie and Bruglia. TMNT theme song. The TMNT theme song. And time is on my side. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that we saw him do is he has to make eye contact with Beast Boy in order to take over his body. And Beast Boy is able to avoid that by averting his eyes for a long time. Most of the times we have seen Jericho take over people before, he has said a thing about eye contact. But he has taken over unconscious people, mostly, including his teammates when they were unconscious. And people that were wearing, like, heavily mirrored visors, like welding masks, basically. So, what the fuck, dude? Yeah. It's weird that powers are inconsistent (laughs) in these comics. Touché. The guy in the warehouse whose body he takes over, even before you get to the part where he is swinging the bat wildly at his pals and saying, Hey, what am I doing? I can't stop hitting you. (laughs) (laughs) Ah. He's so befuddled by it. He is. But I feel like that man is likely prone to befuddlement even when not mind-controlled. Oh, sure. Because he is literally the kind of guy who brings a bat to a gun deal. Why would you bring a wooden baseball bat to a gun deal when you are presumably a gun runner? It's like bringing soup to a sandwich party. (laughs) I guess it could be like, oh, he needs all of those guns For his deal. It's like a cobbler's children have no shoes type of situation. Could be. It also reminded me, both in the metaphor of cobbler's children have no shoes and in the dumb guy with a bat thing, of my old landlord Bill. He was the speed dude, right? Yeah, yeah. When I first moved in, I was locked out of my apartment. I was bartending around the corner and then had stayed after hours and had a few drinks. And so I had accidentally locked myself out of the apartment. It's about three o'clock in the morning. It's my second night after I moved in. Bill comes walking down the street and says, hey, you locked out? And I'm like, yeah, I am. He's like, huh, lucky for you, I'm on a crank binge. Whoa. Yeah. Self-disclosure. I felt so lucky that a man who tells strangers that he is on a crank binge has keys to my apartment. So he let me in. I generally got along with Bill fairly well, but he had a couple of weird quirks, I guess you would say. He would get all fucked up on whatever and just kind of pace in front of the apartment building and cut loud, like, pro wrestling style promos to nobody. Mm. Um, It's like, oh, you think it's real funny, don't you? (laughs) Ha ha ha. We'll see who's laughing. That sounds scary. Yeah, it was a little bit. It was mostly annoying. While he was doing that, he would bring a bat with him. He also, it was weird that he lived on his mom's couch. She lived around the corner. They owned this 12-unit apartment building, and he did not have his own place. So that's the regard in which he is like a guy who is like, wait, this this other guy, you're a gun runner. Why don't you have a gun? Right. It's like, you're a landlord. Why don't you have a place to live? Okay, okay. Um, but he also had this bat that he would carry around with him, which he called Satan's Hammer. And he would use it when he decided he needed to, uh, quote, enforce, unquote. Mm. Uh, That mostly just meant he would be paranoid that people were out to get him. So he would tell me, I'm going to go put on my Raiders jacket so they know I mean business. And I'm going to go get Satan's hammer. Mm. This would have been a lot scarier if he didn't misspell Satan. 
Oh. It was Satin's hammer. Oh. Oh. The gentlest hammer. <laughs> yeah. Hey, not quite a velvet <laughs> hammer, but pretty close. Right. So, yeah, that's who this guy reminded me of. Oh, Satin's <laughs> hammer. I think our mutual friend Kevin actually has Satin's hammer in his possession because oh. Bill left it outside one night. Oh, a Portland relic. <laughs> uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. This should go in a museum. Yeah, oh boy. If only anyone could lift it, you have to be worthy. <laughs> oh. So it's nice to see Lilith again. Yeah. I'm glad she stuck around after the wedding. I thought everybody went home, but she's decided to, in her own small way, fill in for Raven, I guess, who is absent. Mm-hmm. She doesn't quite have the same power set. Um, it was very, very funny to me that the first time you see Lilith in this, they are in the middle of invading this warehouse where a gun deal is going down. Fists and bullets are flying. Everybody is kicking and punching and firing their magical space fire bolts. And Lilith cowers behind some receptacles and says, Please be careful. My precognitive powers aren't always accurate, but I'm picking up flashes of danger. Yeah, no shit. (laughs) I don't think she has any psychic powers, and that makes me like her so much more. She's been faking the whole time. (laughs) Apparently pretty easy to fake. Yeah. I mean, she knows some kung fu. She was trained by Mr. Jupiter, but I think she's just doing cold reads. And, yeah, just, like, touching her forehead and saying, like, oh, I think there might be some danger. It's like... People are shooting at us feet away. Yeah, there's some danger. Yeah, I (laughs) just shook my head at that whole thing. I was like, oh, Lilith. Uh, It made me very happy. And then she sasses the shit out of Beast Boy. She sasses Dick later and says that she's going to tell all the sordid details of his personal life and all about his ex-girlfriends, which I think is supposed to be a clue that that might be who Cheshire is talking about. I think it's a false lead. But I think it's supposed to be like, huh? Huh? Wouldn't, what if it's Dick? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of fun. But yeah, overall, I like Lilith in this. The one exception is, I need her to tell us what the fuck happened to Ganark. She brings it up again. And it's again, there's no explanation. It's she's And nobody asks any follow-up questions either. She's just like, after what happened with Ganark, they just keep dropping this like, something happened. I thought he got... Sucked back into the caveman time for some reason. No. I just made that up. Yeah, I think you did. I mean, that would be a fun adventure for him. Do you think they'd make him their leader, like C-3PO style? No, I don't. He's probably still just, like, he got lost. Jupiter Tower's big. Oh, he's just wandering around Jupiter Towers somewhere, saying, like, You guys! You guys! My name is John Gennark! I live in Jupiter Towers! Yeah. That's what I like to think. I like to think that too. And that's what Lilith means when she says after what happened with Gnark. She's like, yeah, he went into the East Wing. I don't know, man. We looked for a couple days, but... Yeah, we gave up. Yeah, it's a really big place. Mm-hmm. Makes palatial Dayton estates look like a fucking postage stamp. Yeah. A lot of uh, vending machines, though, so he's probably okay. Oh, yeah, he'll be okay. Yeah. But, uh... It's a shame what happened to John <laughs> <laughs> Eating stale Twix and looking for Lilith. God, that sounds sad. It's super sad. Aw, poor Gnark. So, we are introduced to some new players. We see President Marlowe of somewhere, vaguely Middle Eastern. I'm going to say he's from Kairak. I thought they wanted to invade Kairak. No, they wanted to invade Kairan. (laughs) 
<laughs> that is so dumb. So I'm guessing he's from Kyrak. Oh, boy. Do you think he's from Gladbach? <laughs> yeah. I'm from the city of Gladbach in Kyrak. Hey, Gladbach. Uh, so, yeah, that, that was my... That was your main takeaway from that. My main takeaway from it was President Marlowe has a lot to learn about doing presentations using an overhead projector. Because he keeps walking in front of it. He's making so much work for the illustrators of this comic. He really is. It is a super cool looking visual. I was very, very impressed by it. But he keeps walking and like he gives the whole presentation that he is himself the screen that the images are being projected on. Or at least he keeps just walking in front of it. And I guess nobody wants to say anything because he's presumably like a strong arm dictator maybe or something. Mm -hmm. But dude, that's not how that shit works. Very frustrating. Bad at PowerPoint. I mean, Whoa. this is before PowerPoint yeah, presentation. Yeah, no, this is, this is overhead. Yeah, this is the overhead slide projector. Mm -hmm. Or maybe an opaque projector. Ooh, you think? I would love to get my hands on one of those. Yeah, what would you do with it? I would get some cool picture and mm -hmm. put it up on the wall. Nice. And then maybe use that as like a paint by numbers thing to paint the cool picture on the whole wall. Oh, I like it. Yeah. That's a good idea. You would just have to just follow the lines and then it would look like you totally knew what you were doing. I love looking like I know what I'm doing. Yeah, me too. I don't get to do it very often. No, especially like when it, you know, it's easy like that. <laughs> that is absolutely what President Marlowe should do. Stop mm -hmm. trying to track down Adeline, Jericho. Stop killing old ladies where, who are just fucking being rads, chain smoking, wearing overalls. Yep. Talking about their nickname Icy. Although, okay, do you think Icy was a description of her? Is it her code name or is it her nickname? Because at various points in the comic, and she doesn't have a ton of screen time, it is presented as all three. I believed it to be a nickname based on... A description? A description that then became just how people referred to her. Ah, gotcha. Because, yeah, when she first is introduced she's like icy that's what they used to call me especially that one agent fdr sent after me and then adeline's like didn't you marry him what number husband was he oh six or seven who can tell <laughs> stop counting after i'm terrific yeah. yeah um and she is terrific good for her but then later cheshire comes in and is like oh you're agent icy oh okay so how did you read her, the way her accent was written or did you read her with an accent? I did. I read her with my default accent, which is Maine. I read her with uh, Justin Wilson. <laughs> oh, the Cajun <laughs> chef? Yeah. Let's hear both interpretations. You take her first page of dialogue, I will take her second. Ah, sweets. Sometimes methinks you play yourself too cucumber cool. But then you just a spitting image of me when I was your age. I can't do it right. That's not the what um, I hear in my head. Ah, sweet, sometimes me think you play yourself too cucumber cool. That's better. That's more like the Ruffles ad. But then you're just a spitting image on me when I was your age. I see they call me, especially that one agent. Oh, FDR said to put me in a gal. There you go. I guarantee. Uh-huh. Yeah, see, know. I was reading it at six or maybe seven it was. You gave up counting after a while, sweets. Remember that film you made in the Middle East a couple years ago? It surfaced, and I'm getting reports of real trouble from its makers. Mm. 
I guarantee. <laughs> I think she's main Cajun. Ever, I think you're right. If ever there were a more incomprehensible <laughs> accent, nobody Cajun knows. Cajun Maine. Spicy lobster. Ooh. A crawdad's kind of a tiny lobster. Oh, that's true. Hmm. Mm. We have more that binds us together than that keeps us apart. I like to think so. Yeah. Crawdads. Crawdads <laughs> and lobsters. Hmm. Cheshire said something that gave me pause. When Jericho comes home. Things about having sex with his dad. Yeah, that's what I wanted to get to. That is a weird fucking flex. During the middle of a fight, just be like, I fucked your dad. <laughs> no, you just be like, wait, stop, time out. It is like right after that that she then knocks him out, so I think that's actually a pretty smooth move. <laughs> He's like, what? Wait, what? Bonk. <laughs> and then she's like, you want it? Maybe I'll give you a try. <laughs> He's just like, no. This is weird and scary. Now everything's <laughs> gross. I'm thinking about my parents doing it, and now in me at the same time. No. <laughs> Like, that's a fucked up thing to say to somebody. It totally is. And I, if, it, if that is part of her technique, that when Chang taught her, then... That's some next level mental garbage, man. That's, that's the a... kind of shit they teach you in fucking Space Asia, where I guess he's from. Mm. Judging from his name and apostrophe placement. Oh, my name is actually slang. That's why it has this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, maybe. Apostrophe. Yeah, could be they were just leaving some consonants out. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Maybe they were. I like his uh, Shriners looking hat. Oh, yeah. We're, we're going to talk about that later. All right. I actually felt pretty bad for uh, Jericho. In this. I did, too. He seems like a pretty decent guy. He's getting it from both sides. His mom just got kidnapped. Lady shows up and says, I fucked your dad. Kicks him in the face. And Beast Boy Beast turns Boy. into a lion and tries to beat Jesus. him up. Yeah, so fly him into a wall. <laughs> Which and, is so funny. Dude. The most satisfying thing I've seen in a long time. However, it was also coupled with... So, did I tell you about the pigeons in Mexico? No. Oh, man. So, uh, the, the place we were staying had these big sliding glass doors mm-hmm. on the back, and it was a little bit high up above the ground, and there were forest behind it, and these pigeons would come barreling out of the forest. And I don't know why they thought they could get through the rest of the apartment, but they kept flying into the sliding glass doors. Oh, jeez. And it was loud. Oh, and did it kill them? One died. Yeah. And that was really sad. And another one, when they hit the window, they're, because not super clean animals, would leave like an imprint of the shape of how they were when they hit it. Oh. And one of them had just gotten a bunch of like a hard corn kernels somewhere. And there was corn kernels and feathers all over the, the deck. Oh, jeez. And from the splat pattern of the pigeon on the window you could tell that they had shot out of its ass when it hit the window it hit the window so hard oh he pulled a real jack norris oh those poor birds yeah and so when i saw beast boy do that i was like ha he got him good and then i thought of that poor pigeon i was like oh no poor beast boy do you think beast boy shit himself <laughs> i don't I think mind. that's why he's so mad afterwards oh that could be i think he was mad before i think he's mad because i bet he's chastising himself when Jericho makes eye contact with him and he takes over his mind, I so very much wanted Beast Boy to turn into an albino baboon. <laughs> oh. And have a hypnotic stare down with Jericho. Who do you think wins in that situation? Baboon. Or would it just like cause this feedback loop that would turn the entire city of New York into a crime circus? Oh, Jesus, man. I don't know. I think maybe the baboon 
would win. I don't think anything out hypnotizes an albino baboon except for maybe an extra dimensional two-headed eel. Yeah, which Jericho is not as far as we know. As far as we know, but apparently that dude is keeping some secrets. So maybe he is. Yeah, I don't know. It it did crack me up when he <laughs> hit that wall, though. He also, before he hits the wall, he goes back to the kind of state he was in before when he was in, like, super vigilante mode, where he's just saying a bunch of nonsense and basically, like, ugly cry yelling shit while he's fighting. And there is one panel where there is just, like, this look on Jericho's face where he's like, what the fuck? And he's just booking it as Beast Boy is saying... Pal, this isn't only for what happened to Terra. It's for my mom and dad. It's for the Chief and Larry and Rita and everyone I loved who then died. It's for Galtree and Terra and all those who used me and left me. It's like he is one second away from crying, I'll get you, mommy. Yeah, and Jericho is understandably <laughs> freaked like, the fuck what out. The fuck? He's booking it down the stairs. And he's like, dude, I just saw my mom get killed. Yeah, because he thinks that's yeah. what he thinks happened. And then this craziness on top of the, oh the poor bastard yeah and that is after beast boy pulls like such a dick and such a super beast boy move of he shows up and is like all right jericho we have to get going jericho tries to start to explain himself and beast boy's response is forget the signing mister i don't read it it Ooh. reminds me so much of zach galifianakis used to do these things that he called like i think three-second impressions, and one of them was the conceited illiterate. <laughs> and it was just him adjusting his glasses and then saying, I can't read. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly what Beast Boy is doing. It's this conceited ignorance mm. that is so frustrating. It is ugly. It is, especially because the sign that Jericho is making that he doesn't seem to be able to comprehend is Jericho just jerking his thumb over his shoulder saying, get out of here. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know sign language either. I know I should learn it, but I can pick up on that pretty easily. It's like, get out of here. Or or he's pantomiming jerking off. That's the reason yeah. Beast Boy's so mad. <laughs> <laughs> he comes in all pissed off and Jericho's just like, oh yeah? <laughs> oh yeah, I'm Beast Boy. <laughs> I think that could very well be the case. And he's was like, yeah, everybody's always doing that sign at me. I don't know what it means. I asked my friend Jack Norris. He doesn't know what it means either. People are always doing that at us. Mm -hmm. So sick of it. Anyway, I'm going to turn into a lion now. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Fucking beast boy. Well, you ready to get into the minutia? Sure. I guarantee we can. <laughs> a loving tribute to, to Gert. Mm. Icy. Icy. Rick, will you sing us into the minutia? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Let's talk fashion. Okay. Sartorially speaking, what elements of fashion from this issue do you feel are worthy of highlight? Well... We've been talking about this character a lot. You mentioned mm -hmm. that it makes you sad whenever you see somebody wearing this particular article of clothing killed. Mm. I'm talking about Gert. Yeah, Gert is wearing some nice overalls. Like a fuchsia, maybe, shirt? Yeah. Turtleneck blouse thing? Yeah, it's. Uh, I feel like she's at the vanguard of a very 90s look. I could see like Monica on Friends wearing this outfit a few years later. 
And frankly, not pulling it off as well as Gert does. Yep, nope, she's cool as shit. Mm-hmm. I would like to highlight the uh, garment of another elderly person who appears in this issue, the aforementioned Wen Chang, who may or may not be from space. He's wearing a fez that looks like it is made out of a Dayglow backgammon board. It is dope looking, and it is weird, and I like the fact that I think he must have just picked it up at a gift shop when he arrived in, is it Kyrak or Kyran? Kyran is where Marlo is. Marlo is the president of Kyran. Yeah. And they're going to invade Kyrak. Hi there, this is Future Hub editing this show. We got a little confused here. It turns out that President Marlowe is, in fact, the president of Kyrak, not Kyran. Can't imagine how we mix those two fictional countries up. It's also probably worth mentioning that Corey started calling the non-Kyran country, which it turns out Marlowe is the president of, Kyrak, as a joke, because wouldn't it be dumb if that was what that country was called? But it turns out that the fictional country in question actually is called Kyrak. So, there you have it. Now let's get back to those two knuckleheads past Hub and Corey. <laughs> Were we ever so young? Well, that was my assumption. Okay. I, they never call it out by name, but I figured... Right, he is probably in... Meron. It's the 80s. Kyran, and, and planning on invading Gladbag. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Iraq. Reagan is, you know, behind the scenes. Oh, boy. Pulling the strings. Pulling the strings. Mm-hmm. Pulling the strings, mommy. Oh. Yep. That's a spot-on Reagan impression. <laughs> yeah. Scary. For those of you who are listening at home, I did not just resurrect the corpse of Ronald Reagan and bring him into the comic book room to record that. That was just me. Yep. Um, cool hat. Cool hat. And yeah, I like the fact that he probably just picked it up at a gift shop in, was in like the a... airport. Because the rest of his outfit is very, like, stereotypical kung fu master old Chinese. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, Papa Diglo. Backgammon Fez on top of that. Yeah, when in when in Kyran. Yeah, you know, do as the Kyranians do. Mm-hmm. Get a hat with a tassel. Of course. Nice tassel hat. There were some other outfits. The guy who reminded me of my old landlord Bill was wearing some green jeans and an orange puffy button down. Mm-hmm. But mostly, it's all about the Dayglow Fezes and the overalls. More understated, I thought uh, Adeline's getup was was pretty cool. She has uh, some tall black boots. And a chunky gold necklace and a white dress. It's a classy look. Uh, yeah, it's a good look. Yeah. She's got a good look. I am a fan of Cheshire's costume, too. It is so very 80s looking, down to the headband and the big hair. Mm-hmm. She's looking fierce. She is fierce. What was your favorite sound effect? My favorite sound effect is when Cyborg, who is an absolute badass in this issue, when he knocks somebody out with one finger by flicking them in the chin, (laughs) and it makes the noise, dink! That was pretty fun. That was definitely in contention. It was slightly edged out by Beast Boy slamming into the wall and it making the noise, thump! For two reasons. First of all, as I mentioned, it was very funny, and I don't have the added baggage of watching birds uh, slam themselves into a glass door so to loud. compare it to. Oh man, that that is horrifying. As much as I am terrified of birds, and I think they are assholes, I I don't wish them any ill. No, I felt so bad. Except geese. 
A goose would have broken that window. Yeah, man. it would have been worth it. But, ah, uh, <laughs> free goose. <laughs> yeah. So the thump of Beast Boy hitting that wall, it was very funny to me. And also it reminded me of Junkyard Dog, uh, the old wrestler who mm-hmm. uh, had the word thump written on the uh, side of his tights. So That's nice. That's why I want a thump. Did you find a timestamp in this issue? I did. It would be kind of hard not to. They were flying fast and fancy free. Mm-hmm. Which one or ones did you want to talk about? I went with one from Beast Boy mm-hmm. when he's uh, in his elephant form sitting on top of a pile of bad guys. And he mentions meeting Deborah Winger. Ah. Famed actress from the 80s. Star uh, of Legal Eagles. And uh, Terms of Endearment. Mm. And I just imagine Beast Boy liking sappy movies and like sitting there like kind of sadly eating popcorn watching <laughs> Terms of Endearment, which I guess oh. is kind of a comedy also, but... Yeah, um, I think that's very sweet. Mm-hmm. I bet he liked it. I loved the movie. When I was a little kid, I loved the movie Legal Eagles. I remember you talking about that, <laughs> like, up until you were, like, up until teenage <laughs> Yeah, times. like, as a preteen. Yeah. Just, uh, man... I, that that movie and From the Hip starring Judd Nelson made me want to be a lawyer. Dude, you could totally do that. I, you have the memory for it. <laughs> the, it takes more than that. It takes more than having a good memory and liking to argue with people. Oh, um, this has come comedy gold. I really want you to do this so I can go like watch you argue in court and get yelled at by judges for doing the jerk-off motion or whatever it is that you're going to do when you get frustrated. <laughs> oh, I love the idea of ladies and gentlemen of the jury and then just pantomime jerking off for like 15 minutes and then say, I rest my case. Or just while the other guy's talking or the other oh, lady's yeah. talking. yeah. You're right, I would be a pretty good lawyer, Corey. What are they going to, how are they going to be like, objection, stop doing that. <laughs> stop doing what? Have the sonographer read that back? Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you got it in the bag, man. <laughs> Thank you. Be a successful trial lawyer. Oh, boy. Yes, I'm the next Jim the Hammer Shapiro. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there was the Deborah Winger reference in this. There was the Michael Jackson reference. And Michael Jackson dolls, specifically. I remember Mm -hmm. when those came up. There were also a couple of references that are a little bit more subtle. And the one that I ultimately chose was Dick saying that he doubted they could find Raven's secret meditation place, even if they had a AAA triptych. Mm. And uh, yeah, I remember using those maps. And you don't think about it very often. But yeah, nobody really uses roadmaps or AAA mm-hmm. maps anymore, mm-hmm. certainly a lot less, um, but that that would be a go-to reference that everybody would understand. I thought that was pretty telling. And along similar lines, he also is trying to reach the other Titans and is greeted with the fact that Coriander doesn't have her new phone set up yet, and Vic is out with his parents. So yeah, when people are out of the house or have moved recently, you didn't used to be able to get a hold of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I, that sets it in an era, or at least before a certain era. Yeah, I miss that in some ways, like that just not being contactable thing. I mean, yeah. you can turn your phone off, but there's always this expectation, I feel like, of, you know, rapid response. To oh, things. absolutely. As somebody who frequently just did not pay their phone bill and had it turned off for sometimes months at a time. That was very frustrating. In my 20s. I'm sure it must have been. I'm, How's your I'm, brother? I'm oh, I don't know. 
can't find him. I don't have the time to go visit him at work. <laughs> yeah. I tied a bell outside because I was on the second floor, so I... I, I, I remember the bell. I, I used to throw a... rocks at your window. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a good system. It's a good thing your landlord didn't come out with Satin's hammer. <laughs> oh, boy. Give me what for. I'm running off. Help! Help! <laughs> you think it's real funny, don't you? Is he wearing his Raiders jacket? <laughs> if not, he doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> Corey, let's take this party to the Bozone. What instance of one character calling another Bozo do you feel is worthy of note? All right. I'm going to go with Gar on page 16, collectively referring to all of the Teen Titans as absolute idiots. As he's caught up in his thing of, you know, feeling betrayed and, you know, first Terra and then everybody else and, oh my gosh... We didn't see it coming, and now Jericho is this horrible person, I think. We let in Wilson knowing he's the Terminator's son. Blast! We're absolute idiots! I like that he just lumps everybody in with his assumption mm-hmm. of, of idiocy. That seemed very gar. It It is. And a pretty good zinger, man. An absolute idiot is like, there's... Not a lot of wiggle room there. Nope. Um, I decided to go with Lilith calling Gar on his bullshit. He has turned into an elephant and is sitting on some crooks. And as you mentioned earlier, talking about Deborah Winger and saying that she had Natch, she had the hats for me, but I was cool. And Lilith interrupts him and says, changing, I think the Geneva Convention ruled against that kind of torture. You mean me sitting on them, Lilith? No, I mean making them listen to your stories. Zing. Pow! That's pretty good. Pan, pan! It's a pretty good pen pen. Yeah, that was my choice for somebody who really got taken to the Bozone. Incidentally, not an official category, but this issue has a Mebby count of three. There are three Mebbies. Not a bad score. Two by Vic, one by Gert. Mm-hmm. And that's the Mebby count. What was your favorite panel? I was really captivated by Marlo's bad presentation skills. The panels in which he's drawn with the overhead projector outlining him must have been an absolute pain in the ass to draw in color. It is so cool looking. Yeah, it is these uh, thin blue line drawings that are then projected over his face and body. And it is really, really cool looking. I, I chose one of those as well. I think my favorite was the one where it's the outline of Jericho standing with his hands on his hips. That's over a President Marlowe is like half turned and it's a close up of his face. And then you see Jericho's body projected over it. The one that I chose was on page four and I called it the Goofy Crew. And it's the picture of Adeline Wilson and uh, her army buddies. Yeah. And man, they, they look like some serious goofballs. They look like they are having so much fun in that covert coup that they are taking part in. Yeah, like two of the dudes have their arms raised up over their heads and are yelling something. Yeah, one guy's pumping his fist, the other guy's holding a rifle over his head with both hands, not wearing a shirt, and looks like he's just saying, Yay! They look very like like 80s, you know, counterinsurgency movie hero types. Yep, it's a pretty fun panel. I think that's a really good, solid choice. Um, the other one that, that was in the running for me was we have already talked about it, but the scene where Jericho is running away, well, Beast Boy is freaking him out. 
Just the look on his face. He's like, what the fuck is wrong with that kid? That one's really good. And then the expression a couple panels down, like, it's when he, yeah. Oh, when he's in full space lemur mode. And he mesmerizes the bird form of Beast Boy. But he's making this, like, frown on his face. He's like, this is so fucking uncomfortable. (laughs) I hate it when my eyeballs do this. Yeah. That's a gnarly looking thing. Yeah. Good call. Thank you. Likewise. Every issue of a Teen Titans comic book has a Speedy, the worst of Teen Titans, and also an Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans. In this issue, who was your Aqualad? So, uh, again, we didn't talk about him a whole lot, but just in terms of, I thought, some well-placed badassery, I Mm. picked Borgie. I like that he knocked a dude out by flicking him in the chin. I like that he caught a handful of bullets and made a guy pray and go... (laughs) I liked that um, when Beast Boy was having his freak out at Titan's headquarters, he was like, sit down. Yeah. (laughs) And just shut up, and we're going to talk this through like grown-ups. Nice. Not ultimately successful, really, but he tried to talk some sense into a, a stressful situation, so good on him. I think that is a solid choice. I decided to go with Lilith. Maybe not the most effective fighter in this issue, but she cracked me up the most. Uh, I loved her pretending to have psychic powers, which is, I'm pretty sure, what was happening. Like, as people are shooting, it's like, might be wrong about this, but I think there might be some danger. Sensing danger. Um, Straight up Professor Trelawney up in there. Mm. And I dug that. I dug her giving shit to Beast Boy. I dug her giving shit to Dick. Just solid performance. Happy to see her in the issue. I wish she had maybe used some more of her kung fu skills that Mr. Jupiter's robot butler taught her. But still, solid showing. Good call. Did you have a runner-up? Just... No, it was just all Lilith. Because I, I did have Jericho for making Beast Boy crash into a wall. Yeah, that's like, solid. Yeah. That was pretty solid. Yeah, that was pretty fun. Good but, call. But I felt bad for the birds in Mexico, <laughs> so I voted for Cyborg. Hard to fault that reasoning. Yeah. Conversely, the Speedy, the worst Teen Titan. It's Beast Boy, right? Yeah. Not only does he jump to conclusions and, like, be a total jerk to Jericho Mm -hmm. and, you know, do process problems and all of that, he also gets back to his old, like, kind of sexual hijinks when the more grown-up of the Teen Titans are kind of giving Dick a hard time about his dating history and everything. Yeah. And Gar, in typical Gar fashion, takes something that's kind of fun and lighthearted and just turns it gross. Yeah. By being like, yeah, tell us all the kinky stuff. Yeah, everybody else is having fun banter, and he's just like, yeah, tell us about the parts where you had privates. Ugh. Yeah, there there can be no other choice. Uh, Across the board, he does a bad job. He's an angry, gross little creep. That's tough but fair. Corey, yep. I have but one further question I must put to you. Oh, God. Okay. Wapoot! What is Aqualad probably up to in the year of our Lord, 1985, and the month of our Lord, March? Corey, Wapoot! So when I was a young person in 1985, I remember my parents talking about this phenomenon called nuclear winter. Did you oh. remember hearing about that when you were a kid? Yep. Very scary. So this idea that if there was a nuclear war, all of the dust would rise up into the atmosphere and make things really dark and there would basically be another ice age. Mm-hmm. And growing up in New Hampshire, I was like, yeah, winter's fun, but it's short and fuck. It's not that short. Well, you know, it's not yeah, forever. Yeah, it's not forever. Yeah. yeah. And so I was 
And I don't know why my parents decided to tell me about that in great detail. But they did, for they, whatever reason. Yeah, and so it was probably asked. I mean, like, when we were growing up, it was Cold War. It was on kids' minds. Yep. So, anyway, that idea of that being a thing that could happen was... It, it kind of... There was debate around it similar to the debate around climate change we have today. And... So, it was a very one-sided debate. There then, was science and then there was wrong people. Right. But the thing with this is the science didn't really come to the fore until the beginning of the month, March of 1985. Hmm. And that was due to the fact that among his many involvements, civic and otherwise, Aqualad, as we know, is a strong uh, environmentalist. Mm -hmm. And so he was really concerned about the, the, you know, he's got some connections. He knows what's going on between governments and nuclear stockpiles. And it's pretty freaky shit. Like this could actually go down. And, you know, nuclear winter is not good for Atlantis. It's not good for anybody. No. And so he really spent a lot of time in his downtime going out and trying to reach out and work with scientists and politicians and blah, blah, blah. And that was really what drove it forward to become something that brought it to be part of the national conversation backed up by the science. And so it was at, you know, March 1st of 1985 when it first became something that was basically accepted as like, okay, this could actually really happen and we need to take it seriously. So good on Aqualad for doing that. He needed to really chill out after doing that in the beginning of the month because that was some heavy, stressful shit. Yeah. And he's always loved the characters in movies that are these like likable bad guys Hmm. and one of his favorites is lando calrissian from star wars from empire strikes back so he actually went out he became part of some fan clubs and you know he's a little famous too and he got to know billy d williams nice yeah and so they're hanging out and and uh you know billy d was kind of down and was feeling like he wasn't really getting the recognition that he deserved and so aqualad really encouraged him to pursue getting his uh, hollywood star very nice. Yeah, and so by um, working together, you know, kind of using some of his superhero connections, was able to help Billy D uh, manifest this. Uh, towards the end of the month, on the 27th, he, he finally got his Hollywood star. So a busy month for him. There is one other big major sporting event that was going down at the time. There were a few. And I'm hoping you're going to tell us about some of those because... I don't think I'm doing the one that you're thinking of. It uh, doesn't involve Mr. T? So Aqualad was super bummed <laughs> that because he was so busy, he missed WrestleMania 1. Oh, no. Yeah, he didn't find out until later. It got totally spoilered that the Hulkster and Mr. T beat Rodder um, Rodder Piper and his uh, running mate. Paul, Mr. Wonderful. Mr. Wonderful went Paul down. Paul Wondorf. Yep. And I was like, fuck, man. Mm-hmm. He was pretty bummed out about that because yeah. he likes cool bad guys. He likes cool bad guys and, <laughs> you know, what's not to love about Rowdy, Rowdy, Rowdy Piper and Mr. Wonderful. Yeah, well, you know, the racism. But other than that, it was a different time. Of yeah. Everybody. When everyone was terrible. So much like when you were young, your parents told you about a phenomena called nuclear winter. When I was young, my parents told me about a phenomenon called Larry Bird. (laughs) We'll get back to that. (laughs) There was a computer company called Symbolics that uh, was looking to make a big splash on the scene. And they figured if they're going to do that, they need a spokesperson that everyone loves and can relate to. So they started courting Aqualad pretty hard to be the rep for Symbolics. So they took him and Beaky out to a Celtics... Atlanta Hawks game in Atlanta. Big, 
big marquee matchup. We have a young superstar, Dominique Wilkins, is going to go head-to-head with Larry Bird. And it was an amazing game. Phenomenal performance by Larry Bird. He scored 60 points in that game. Aqualad was super into it, but, you know, basketball games get pretty long, and he needs to hydrate every hour. So he told the company guys, I'm sorry, I need to go get something to drink. And so they just started giving him drinks. He didn't realize they were getting him liquored up. He was getting a little bit drunk, and they kept talking to him about stuff. And one of the things that came up was he brought up the fact that, like, oh, yeah, man, this one time I was in Scotland, and this... Lady, I got my mind all messed up, and I don't really remember what happened, but I have bad feelings about England right now in Scotland. There was this one time I I kind of seduced the Loch Ness Monster a little bit, but that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, like, there was this other time, and it's just, it gave me such bad feelings that, like, when I hear a British accent, it just, it makes me get nervous, and, like, I have to really fight down this, like, fight or flight response so like when i hear like somebody call sneakers trainers i just want to slap them (laughs) and this is aqualad this is aqualad talking it's like I, i don't but but as he was on the floor larry bird overheard a part of that conversation and he heard what he thought was aqualad saying trainers lap and so he says trainers lap And at that point, Larry Bird is pushed by one of the Atlanta Hawks players, falls out of bounds. As he is falling out of bounds, he hoists up a beautiful rainbow arcing three-pointer that is a swish as he lands face first in the trainer's lap. Dang! Everybody saw that as Larry Bird calling his shot, saying, trainer's lap, hoisting a no-look shot and then landing in the trainer's lap. Everybody who heard that went absolutely insane. But that was really what was happening. He heard Aqualad saying, I hear somebody call sneakers trainers. It's hard for me not to slap them. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. And so uh, Symbolics ended up not getting Aqualad as their spokesperson. He was hungover. He felt that he had been deceived. He had not been asking for alcoholic beverages. He just needed some water to rehydrate. So he did not end up signing with them. And Symbolics did go on later that month to claim the very first .com address. Mm -hmm. Or so they said. Technically, they got the second one. But Aqualad had it hushed up. But he owns the very first .com address. And it is LarryBirdFuckingRules.com Because that was an amazing game. Wow. And that's what Aqualad was probably up to. Dang, do you think he still owns that that domain name? I just looked it up, he does. Wow, good job Aqualad. Yeah, it's uh, mostly just pictures of Topo. (laughs) He didn't really keep up with it. Yeah. It was done in Angel Fire. Is that a thing? That was an early, uh, yeah. But that was an address, right? So it wouldn't have been. Well, it was, yeah, but you could use You'd it use to web, build sites that you could, you okay. could have a domain name for. Yeah, I got, I made my first website on there and got some pretty direct feedback from somebody whose opinion I respected. They told me it sucked. <laughs> <laughs> what, did you use all the fonts? Oh, I used everything at my disposal. That sounds great. That's how you... It was like walking into a Las Vegas casino. <laughs> <It> was... <laughs> It's a really awful Just thing. Just disorienting. Yeah, it was heinous in retrospect. Cool. 
And that's what Aqualad was probably up to. Thank you so much for joining us, Corey, and thank you for joining the both of us, listeners. This was a real treat. I had a fun time. Me too. And we hope you had a fun time hanging out with us, my internet friends. Yeah. You can find us on Angel Fire. (laughs) (laughs) You can find us at angelfire.com slash larrybirdfuckingrules.gov. It's official. (laughs) But if you can't get through to us there, we're still working out some of the bugs in the system. Uh, You can tell there's a little rotating gif of a little construction worker with a shovel. Mm -hmm. So if that site isn't quite working up to snuff, then you can find us at ttwasteland.gmail.com. You can contact us there. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter at ttwasteland underscore. We are on Instagram. That is a site that Lisa maintains, which is very nice of her. Mm-hmm. You can say hi to us there. If you would like to donate monetarily to the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. That seems like a nice time. Mm-hmm. Everybody who does that thinks it's great. Yep. And I think everybody who does that is great. So, you know, if you want to be part of this mutual appreciation society, hop on board this crazy train. Choo-choo! Choo-choo! Don't touch that train. Don't touch that train, but get on board! Somehow. Without (laughs) touching. Just jump! Um, If you'd like to leave us a review on iTunes, or Facebook, or... No, just iTunes, or... Facebook allows reviews. They do? I think so. Okay, then yeah, leave us a review there, too. Or just a comment that's like, here's my review. (laughs) Yeah! Like a really long bunch of nice shit. Yeah, just say nice things about us all the time, everywhere. <laughs> Thank you. I think that's a good policy. Yeah. Yeah, say nice things about us all the time, everywhere, on the internet, to your friends, to your neighbors, to your enemies, to your congressperson. Write to your congressperson and tell them how much you like this show, if they're a bad congressperson. Because then... They especially need this. They need this, and also, they probably, it'd be a fun way to, like, annoy them. Yeah, just, uh, tell everybody, all the time. Tighten up the defense. Catch the wave of the future with us and hang ten on it. Cowabunga. Guarantee. Ayah. Onion. Onion. Cayenne pepper. Ayah. Maple syrup. It is like a main accent. They both got a bit of a drawl. Mm-hmm. Oh. I want Wilfred Brimley to play somebody from Maine. We already saw him play a Cajun in Hard Target. Could mix it up. God, we should watch Hard Target again. We should watch the Wilford Brimley parts of Hard Target again. There's so many movies I know. in the world. Yeah, you're right. We should just watch some Shaw Brothers Kung Fu movies. That's a great plan. All right. Goodbye. And they knew it. has a very special message for any of our listeners yeah so if you work for the booze industry or know somebody who does that is a purveyor of fine spirits and you would like us to consume those spirits and say thanks on the show send them our way Corey would like free booze so if you would like to give us free booze then contact us and Corey will be back in touch with you so we can have free booze yep we'll set it up and your sales will never be higher Yeah.
Oh, only if they're fine spirits, though. Yeah, we don't want your... Bad spirits. Monarch rums. No. No, if you're a representative for Monarch or Plastic Jug brand gin, Mm -hmm. then go to hell. Oh. (laughs) No, I'm sorry. Thank you for listening. Yeah. It's a job. You need to do your job. Everybody's got a job to do. It's true. I'm sorry. You know what? Fuck it. Send them on over. (laughs) Yeah. We'll we'll, say it's good. We'll do our best. (laughs) Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.